Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 31. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Well, tonight we conclude our study in 1 Samuel. Can you believe it? We actually started this study, I tried to get all the dates right. Uh, We started this study about two years ago. And we've been going verse by verse through Samuel for two years. And uh, that's awesome, isn't it? And we just learn and grow and learn and grow. And anyway, so tonight we conclude our study. Last time, I want to put this outline up for you, the last time for 1 Samuel. Then the next time we're in Samuel, we'll, go, we'll be in 2 Samuel the next time, and uh, I'll give you a different outline. So here's your once final time you'll see this outline. You've seen it many, many times since we've been in Samuel. The outline for 1 Samuel is 1, uh, Samuel's chap- 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 7 is written about who, saints? Samuel. 1 Samuel chapters 8 through 15 is written about Saul, who is the first king of Israel. And 1 Samuel 16 through 31 is written about who? 1 Samuel 1 through 7, written about Samuel. 8 through 15 is written about Saul. 16 through 31 is written about David. If you were with us, uh, not last week, but the week before. Last week we had communion. David is spiritually worn out. You know this and exhausted. David was fresh out of rebellion. Uh, he's been on the lamb running from Saul uh, and the Lord for 10 years. So David comes to the Philistine city of Ziklag, and at this point, he's discouraged and depressed and backslidden and making one bad decision after another in a place he thought he'd never be, doing things he thought he'd never do. I told you that Ziklag represents the place of, please listen, Ziklag represents the place of compromise for David. Ziklag represents a lack of trust in God. Ziklag represents false security. Ziklag represents David outside of the will of God. So while David is in Ziklag serving as the right-hand man to the king of the Philistines, King Achish, they're marching in pass and review. This is what we talked about in chapter 30. They're marching in pass and review before the Philistine leaders. And Achish said to David, the leaders don't like you, David, and they don't know you. And David said, why? What have I done to them and what have I done to you? I've been a good servant to you. And David was whining. Call 1-800-WAN. 
And Achish said, David, I don't know what to tell you. You've been a good servant to me, it's true, but the leadership, they don't like you. David, you got to pack your bags by morning and leave. So David got up early the next morning. He packed his bag and he left Ziklag. Chapter 30, I'm looking right about verse 1, saints, if you will. The Amalekites know the Philistines and Israel are getting ready for battle. And so the Amalekites attacked Ziklag and burned it to the ground. Look at verse 2. They took the women and the children captive. When David and his men get back, everybody is gone. Just kind of peruse with me in the early parts of chapter 30. Everybody is gone, including David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail. Things are bad, so bad, even his own men want to stone him. Chapter 30, look at verse 6, because verse 6 in chapter 30 is very, very important. It's a turning point for David. David is sick and tired of being sick and tired. Verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is the first time, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is the first time in 16 months that David has prayed. It's the first time in 16 months that David has talked to God. David has finally gotten to the place of surrender to God. First time in 16 months, David asked the Lord. Verse 7, look at it. David said to Abathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. The ephod represents prayer. In verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, God, do you want us to go and pursue the Amalekites? And God said, go after them and overtake them and get your stuff back. And David and his 400 men went and they rescued the people and they got their stuff back. That's where we left off the last time. And tonight we'll again conclude um, our study in 1 Samuel. I've titled this sermon, Saul's Last Stand. 1 Samuel chapter 31, saints, it's not a long chapter, so we're just going to read right through it, and then uh, we'll come right back and have some comments. How about that? 1 Samuel chapter 31, we're looking at verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, I need you to say amen. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. If you've been to Israel with us, you've been on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadad, and Malchishua. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, Saul, and he was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to the armor bearer, to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men Come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul, are y'all with me? He took a sword and he fell on it. He committed suicide. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and he died with him. And so Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and they fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa and they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor. And they sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. 
And then they put his armor in the temple of Asheroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bet Shem, or Shem is the way you, Shem is the way you pronounce it. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul and all the valiant men, they all arose and they traveled all night. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beit Shem, and they came to Jabesh and they burned them there. And then they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fastened seven days and fasted seven days. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Isn't this a sad ending to the book of Samuel? And a sad ending to the life of Saul, for the life of Saul. I'm reading this story this morning, and it actually takes me back to when we first met Saul. Remember, the people wanted a king, and it grieved Samuel. God told Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Well, in chapter 9, if you haven't been with us, chapter 9, right about verse 1, Kish, K-I-S-H, is Saul's father. And Kish was a mighty man, the Bible tells us, and he was rich. Saul was tall, dark, and handsome, and rich. The Bible tells us that he was the tallest, best-looking man in all of Israel. You'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. The people wanted a king, and God gave the people what they wanted. Saul and his servants are out looking for a donkey, and they ran into a few good-looking girls, and they asked, is a prophet around? And they said, yeah, he's up there on the hill. Keep walking. You'll run right into him. So they keep walking, and they bump right into Saul. Samuel and Saul come face to face. They had dinner, and the next morning, Saul, Samuel is leaving. Saul's leaving. And they're walking and they're talking. And Samuel took a flask. Actually, it's more like a bucket or something. As you travel through Samuel, you see that uh, Samuel always had a bucket of oil with him. Samuel was always ready to anoint. <laughs> Just always, always ready. So he has this flask. It's actually a lot of oil. It's like, you know, when we, when we anoint people with oil, like if you come for prayer and we anoint you with oil, I have like a little squeezy bottle of oil. And we'll sit there and you'll, oh, I'm sick, Pastor Rodney. Okay, I'm going to anoint you with oil because the Bible says we ought to anoint with oil. So I'll anoint you with oil and put a little oil right here and pray for you. And if I'm feeling especially holy, I'll take that oil and make a little cross right there because that just <laughs> gives it a little bit more. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's just a little more. So, but they didn't do that in the Bible. When you got anointed with oil, they, they poured a bucket of oil. I mean, literally, like, you were soaked. You needed a towel. Your clothes were soaked. You were drenched in, in, in oil. So Samuel anointed Saul as king of Israel. Now, keep in mind, this is a private anointing. This is not done in front of a big crowd. This was personal and between Saul and Samuel and God. And then I think about, again, just kind of reminiscing about Saul and his beginnings, and Saul um, pre-rebellious, pre-evil, pre-disobedient. Saul was a nice guy uh, before jealousy began to take root in his heart. 
That's why you got to deal with jealousy before it takes root in your heart. Because if jealousy takes root in your heart, Houston, we have a problem. Because everything you do and everybody you see and every action that you interact with will be dealt with through the eyes of jealousy. Jealousy is a very, very evil thing. It's a very wicked, insidious thing. It creeps up on you and you don't even know it. Y'all ain't hearing me. You don't even know it. It's creeping up on you. You don't even know it. That's what happened to Saul. So I'm thinking about him in the, in the early days. And I, and I think of Saul in chapter 11 as the Amorites wanted Israel to, to allow him to put out the right eye and cut off the right thumb of the people of Israel and then they would allow Israel to live and, and serve them. And Israel was afraid, the Bible tells us. And they said, give us seven days to think about it. The Amorites want to put out your eye and take off your right thumb. And you tell them, give me seven days to think about it. Uh, what's there to think about? Uh, the answer would be no. Y'all say amen. They say, let us think about it. Saul heard about it. And Saul said, I don't think so. The Bible tells us the spirit, of a God, the spirit of God came upon Saul, and Saul got the Israeli army together, and he threatened every Israeli man because they were all afraid. And he threatened them, and he said, if you don't come and fight with us because you're scared, I'm going to chop you up like this oxen and send you out all over the earth. Needless to say, 300,000 men came out to fight. And God delivered the men of Jabesh Gilead and their wives and their children. And as they rejoiced, watch this, saints, as they rejoiced, Samuel stood among the people and reminded them of the blessings of the Lord. I love that because I think too often we forget to go back and thank God when God does something for us. We, we, I'm going to wait while you clap your hands there. We pray. God, we pray, Lord, we put this before you, God, we need to do this. You know what? We need to be mindful of which I've already done it, and I want you to do it at some time. Thank God. Don't pray and ask God for something, then he gives it to you, and you don't go back and thank him. Come on, clap your hands better than that. I need you to. Don't do that. That's not good. That doesn't, that doesn't glorify the Lord. I think of the 10 men who had Hansen's disease. Anybody know what Hansen's disease is? Leprosy, you know that. You're a well-taught church. <laughs> leprosy. Luke chapter 17, leprosy was a dangerous, deadly disease because there was no cure, no treatment in Jesus' day. And leprosy made you an outcast physically and socially and spiritually. And they came to Jesus and they said, Master, don't you remember those 10 lepers? They came to Jesus and said, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. I find that interesting that they said, Master, show, show mercy to us. And Jesus said, go your way, show yourself to the priest, you're cleansed. He didn't talk about the leprosy. He didn't talk about, well, you know, um, how'd you get yourself into this mess? He didn't, he didn't go in. Jesus just said, go and show yourself to the priest. I love that. Jesus just simply, quietly to them, 
Go show yourself to the priest. Well, the 10 lepers, they, they, they ask for mercy. Jesus tells them to go show themselves. They're walking, and all of a sudden their skin started to change, and one looked at the other and said, hey, you've been using proactive. Because <laughs> all of a sudden you look great. And their fingers started growing back, and their noses began to grow, you know, and they were healed, and Jesus gave them back their lives. But only one of them, when he saw that he was healed, stay with me, saints, when he saw that he was healed, he turned around. Luke chapter 17, verse 15 tells us, with a loud voice, he glorified God. Are y'all getting that? Only one saw a reason to praise. Only one saw the difference that Jesus had made. Only one saw a need to go back and say thank you. You know, many see their need to pray, but few see their need to praise. And tell me that's not true. Many, many see their need to pray. But few see their need to praise. Jesus notices when someone robs God of their glory. Jesus notices when someone fails to come back and give thanks. Let's be thankful people. Let's go back and give thanks to God for the great things he's done. Question, question. What's your average on the giving thanks-o-meter? I couldn't think of another way to say that, so... What's your, what, what's your average on giving thanks to God? How much do you give thanks to God? I mean, really, think about it. Don't, don't tell your neighbor, but just think about it. How much do you really thank God? How often do you thank God? Once a week? Once a month? Once a year on Thanksgiving? How often do you say, thank you, Lord? How often do those, I'm just trying to challenge you, that's all, because I want you to be better people and godly people. How often do you really, I don't care if you're 8 or 80, listen. How often do you say, thank you, Lord? Well, I can't seem to find anything to thank God about. For real? <laughs> For real. You, you really can't. There's so much we can thank God for. Some saint need to say amen. Well, there's so much we can thank God for. So much. Thank him for your breath. You, you want to thank him? Let me help you. Thank him for your breath. Do you know some folk didn't wake up today? You did. And because you did, you need to thank him for your breath. When you wake up in the morning, just open your eyes and say, Lord, thank you, my eyes open, because somebody's didn't. Somebody somewhere. Thank him for this day that you've seen. Thank him for your health. Thank him for your life. Thank him for provision. Thank him that you made the house payment this month. Oh, y'all better say a better amen than that because some of y'all came close. <laughs> thank him. You got a lot to thank God for. Thank him for your strength. As crazy as they are, thank him for the kids. As crazy as they are, thank him for the kids. And then when you look at the crazy kids, thank them. Thank, we got a lot to thank God for. We need to be thankful that we're far off from, that we're not far off from God, but he has made us near by the blood of Jesus. Let's be sure that we thank God. Can somebody clap your hands and say amen? Will you do? Amen. 
So in 1 Samuel chapter 11, Saul got a great victory over the men of Jabesh-Gilead, for the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and Samuel reminded the people to give thanks to God. And those were the good old days for Saul. He was a hero to the people. And I'm sure that everybody remembers the days when Saul was filled with the Spirit and following the Lord and began to be used by the Lord. Well, look at verse 1 in chapter 31. The Philistines fought against Israel, and they were getting whooped, and many were killed on Mount Gilboa, which was the Israeli headquarters. The Philistines attacked deep into Israeli territory. And let me tell you something, because of Saul's deep rebellion, Israel was not ready for a deep attack in their territory. First Samuel 28, 5 tells us Saul was afraid and his heart was troubled. And instead of Saul seeking the Lord, he sought a medium. Were you with me? And the medium called up Samuel from the dead. That's what I would have been. I'm out. I don't do folk from the other side. Amen. Some of y'all like to stick around and see that kind of stuff. I'm like, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) Called up a medium, called up Samuel. Samuel came forth with a word of judgment on Saul, a word of judgment from God on Saul. We'll look at verse 2. It tells us that Saul's sons, Jonathan, Abinadad, and uh, that guy were, were also killed. Now, you know what that tells us? That tells us, listen, your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin will affect your family as well. Because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Jonathan died as well because God is clearing a way for David to ascend to as the next king of Israel. Now, listen. We know and believe that if Saul would have died, it would have been fine with Jonathan for David to sit on the throne. We know that and believe that because of their relationship. But his brother, this other guy, Malchishua, this other guy, his brother, uh, maybe not so much. And again, we, ha- we, 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 we learn that we just have to trust God because if the son had lived, the sons had lived, say Jonathan and his brother had lived, perhaps that would have put Jonathan in a place to have to choose sides between David and his brother on the throne. So God knows all of that. Again, we just have to trust God. God knows all of that. Whatever's happening in your life, God knows. I say trust the Lord. God knows and works everything out for the good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, look at verse 3 and 4. It tells us that the archers hit Saul and he was severely wounded. Now listen, at this point, Saul knew that the battle was over. So he asked his armor bearer to kill him. The armor bearer wouldn't do it. So Saul fell on his sword and killed himself so the Philistines wouldn't get him. Why? Because the Philistines were brutal. The Philistines were a vicious war machine and they would torture him. So the Bible tells us that Saul committed suicide. Now listen, there are several people in the Bible that committed suicide. Saul is not the first. Um, Samson committed suicide. Remember? He brought the house down on himself. Uh, Ahithophel was a counselor to David, and he hung himself. There's a guy in the Bible named Zimri, and he, uh, uh, in 1 Kings, uh, who burned his house with him in it. Uh, Then we have Judas Iscariot, don't forget about him, who hung himself. 
And then there's the first suicide that affected all men. Who was that? Adam. Adam, he committed suicide and took us all with him. Remember, God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, in a spiritual sense, every one of everyone who has an opportunity to receive Christ and turns away is committing suicide. Think about it. Now, two questions, two common questions regarding suicide. Number one, people ask me quite frequently, number one, can a Christian commit suicide? And number two, is it the unpardonable sin? The answer to number one, can a Christian commit suicide? The answer is yes. But why would he want to? Yes, but why would he want to? Secondly, is suicide the unpardonable sin? No. Suicide is not the unpardonable or unforgivable sin. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.